morning. Thank you so much for the music. Her comment about the 23rd Psalm forces me to tell you a story. Just does. Uh, my phone rang. It was Ever Garcia, who was the... Uh, gentleman in charge of the emergency room at Bella Vista Hospital in Puerto Rico. He said, get down here right now. So I grabbed my prayer of St. Francis of Assisi and ran. You always have your Bible in your mind or at least close by, but that little prayer, where there is hatred, let me so love, of I got to the emergency room, and Ever was not there, but one of the attendants simply pointed towards one of our examining rooms. And I went in, and I found several EMTs, two from the ambulance, Ever Garcia is the other, and then a fourth, and they were restraining a husband and a wife. Between them on one of the examining tables was a young boy of about 10, who was obviously dead. They were screaming loudly at each other, and Ever looks at me and said, Do something. You're in charge now. (laughs) And I remember this desire to just laugh and run, figuring that was probably the best thing I could do, but the most productive. And uh, I had no idea what to do. What do you say? What do you do? I don't know. I still don't know. Uh, For some reason, somewhere in my head, I heard the voice of God say, Jehová es mi pastor, nada me faltará. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And I just said it out loud, all the way through the 23rd Psalm in Spanish. And uh, when I got to the end, the EMTs were relaxing their control. And uh, Ever said, Otra vez, otra vez. Do it again, do it again. (laughs) So I said it again. At the end of the second time, the husband and wife were embracing each other over the uh, son. No longer were they screaming, I told you never to buy him that bike. I told you never to let him ride it in the front yard. Uh, So I said it again. And this time, all of us said it together. Four EMTs, one amazed chaplain, mom and dad. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. It's the way it sounds and says in Spanish, Eova, Jehovah, es mi pastor, is my pastor, my shepherd. Nada me faltará. I lack nothing. I think that's key to so much in life. There's so much I would like to have. There's so many things I wish would get fixed quickly. So many things I don't understand. 
tensions, stresses, uh, disagreements make no sense at all. Strong opinions. Someone comes to me and tells me that dem Democrats are idiots, and the next person who comes and talks to me tells me Republicans are idiots. And uh, hey, what do I know? I'm from Puerto Rico. <laughs> um, Eva es mi pastor. Nada. Me faltará. But to do that, I have to depend on him rather than upon myself. And that takes me to Mark chapter 5. Ready? Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake to Capernaum, uh, there was something wrong in Capernaum almost the day Jesus arrived. On the first Sabbath in Capernaum, according to Scripture, Jesus went to the temple, and as was he was wont to do. I love that King James Version, because every once in a while I want to do something, and I do my best, and it doesn't always come out what I wanted, but I love that Jesus was wont to go. He went to church, and in the Jewish tradition, it's perfectly acceptable for someone who is visiting to ask to read uh, from the Torah. And so Jesus picked up the manuscript, and stranger in town, who's his, who is this guy? I don't know. Friend of Simon's, they say. He's from Nazareth. <laughs> we probably can't read. <laughs> uh, and he read a text from Isaiah about the coming of the Messiah. And nobody really heard the text. They, they all knew it. And so they just, they were listening to his intonation. Yeah, he's got a Nazareth accent. Yeah, he sure does, Marge. <clears throat> and th they're listening to him, not to the words. And then all of a sudden he stops and says, by the way, this prophecy has been fulfilled today in your hearing. And then he sat down. What did he say? He said that whatever it was he read from Isaiah was being fulfilled today as we listened. Should have listened better, huh? Well, one guy who had listened was Jairus. Jairus was lead pastor in Capernaum. He was the rabbi in charge of the synagogue. He was the guy who made the big decisions and the small decisions. He was papa to everybody in town. And Jairus heard it well. And what he heard was a direct challenge to his authority. For all of a sudden, a man has shown up claiming to be the Messiah in his synagogue with his Torah, with his scriptures. I am this Messiah. That's what Jairus heard, and he heard correctly. There was something wrong now in Capernaum. For what had been a comfortable place to come, to be, to fish, to worship, to sell your whatever, was suddenly a place of political conflict. Yeah, there were Roman soldiers around, but who cared? <clears throat> yeah, Matthew was in charge of some of the tax collecting, but who cared? They always took what they took, and you just moved on. It was no, nothing you could do about it anyway. But here was something you could do something about. This stranger from Nazareth was proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. That's a direct authority challenge to a man named Jairus. And you could feel him bristle in church that Sabbath. 
So life goes on. Jesus tells stories. Jesus finds fish in the daytime. Jesus heals a leper, they say. Jairus checked with the the priest, the rabbi from that section of the country, and discovered that that truly was a man that had been proclaimed a leper, and truly Jesus had healed him. This challenge to authority seems to increase whatever Jesus does. The stories come of him making bread multiply, taking dried fish and turning them into piles of dried fish. Jairus has no idea what to do with him anymore. It's really frustrating. And when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Um, Ellen White adds an interesting piece to this story. I believe she saw the videos, so I'm going to buy her side. Uh, She says that Matthew had thrown a feast at his lakeside chalet. She doesn't use that word. Uh, at his lakeside chalet. And he invited the prostitutes and the other tax collectors and a whole bunch of other genuine, observable heathens to come to the feast. And it invited Jesus and the 12 disciples. Uh, there were now 12 because Jesus had invited Matthew to be one. And Matthew hadn't figured out all the right ways to do things yet, and so he just said, Come on, everybody! And all of his old friends showed up. And Jesus is at the feast at Matthew's house outside of the walls of the city, you realize, because they wouldn't let Matthew have his chalet inside the city. He was a, he was a heathen. He was a, a no-good, uh, a never-come-to-the-synagogue kind of Jew because he had sold out to the Romans. But there's a problem in Capernaum. The problem is in Jairus' house. And again, I'm leaning upon uh, the, the experience of Ellen White. In the process of Jesus showing up, Jairus' little daughter fell in love with the storyteller. So did his wife. And even though Jairus said, don't you ever, they did. And she would sneak down to the uh, fruit market and the fish market, and uh, they would end up listening to Jesus tell stories down by the beach while they helped somebody with their nets, just in case the rabbi showed up and wondered why they were at the beach. Oh, we're helping Martha with her nets. Oh, okay. We just happened to be listening to Jesus. Don't, don't, don't. They were very clearly told to stay away because Jairus was the boss and Jesus was the enemy. He was the enemy of the church, by the way. Not just Jairus, who was the representative of the church. He was the enemy of the church. He was saying things that didn't match what the church believed. I mean, there wasn't a Pharisee anywhere in Jerusalem who wouldn't tell you, don't trust Jesus. But he says he's the Messiah, but he's not. Because if he were the Messiah, he would be following exactly what the people at the Jerusalem church say. But he, it doesn't matter, but. No buts about it. You can't trust him. He's evil. And Jairus is the voice of the church. 
And he tells everybody every Sabbath, do not believe in false messiahs who wander by and pretend to do things that aren't real. On this day, with the giant feast down at Matthew's house, Jairus wasn't invited. Matthew didn't have his phone number. Um, Probably wouldn't have invited him anyway. Why would you want a grouchy old pastor at a party? So Jairus went home. When you get home, his wife is very unhappy. Honey, you got to come. What? Your daughter is really sick. Sick? She wasn't sick yesterday. I know, but she's not well today. And so he went into her room, and there was his little lamb. That's what he called her. Nobody else called her that. Only, only Jairus. Everybody else called her her real name. Uh, but sh- you ever have a child that you had a special nickname for? Yeah. Jairus. Little lamb, what's wrong? Oh, daddy, it hurts so bad. They called the doctors. The doctors came. They called the pullers, the straighteners. They all came. They, they provided every kind of tonic you could imagine. They gave her 7-Up and, and, you know, who knows what. They tried it all. None of it worked. She got worse. She got worse. She got worse. And then Mrs. J, in a moment of incredible courage, says, husband, rabbi, sir, Why didn't you ask Jesus to come? Are you kidding? You could hear it all over the the town. His anger was so awful. His house, of course, was at the top of the hill near the synagogue. And um, it was not pleasant. About an hour later, she tried again. This time, Jairus has got his daughter in his arms, and her temperature is so awful, he... He knows there's no way to get it down. And he screams at her again, but this time not as loudly. The third time, he has laid her down in her bed and given up. Nobody can do anything. Someone has already placed the calls to the wailers and the weepers and the flautists that come when someone dies to let the devils know they must not come near because the sounds of the wailers and the flouters are so terrible even the demons stay away husband I won't do it it's your daughter maybe it'll work maybe it'll fail but at least least you will have tried it would be humiliating well then go be humiliated for her And all of a sudden, he jumps from his chair, storms out of the house, and begins the pilgrimage from his front door down the hill, past the open windows of all of the fishmongers. Morning, Rabbi. How? Oh, sorry. Where's he going? I don't know. Going down. Let's follow. And before long, Jairus is leading an entourage, a a retinue, a a phalanx, whatever word you'd like to use. 
There's a crowd. And they're all following the rabbi who is headed toward the main gates of town. He's not talking to anybody. His eyes are focused on something else, and he's on his way. Nothing will deter him. At the main gate, old Abe says, Morning, Reb. (laughs) Out the gate, to the right, past the fish market, past the place where Jesus often is telling stories to children, Jairus, wondering how many times his wife has taken his daughter down here to listen to Jesus when she was supposed to be in school or somewhere. He comes to the door of the house. Simon Peter answers the door. Well, good morning, Rabbi. Afternoon, Rabbi. Sorry. Uh, How can I help you? I want to speak to Jesus. You don't want to do what? I want to speak to Jesus. Don't make it hard. Just a moment. The door closes. Hey, everybody, quiet. Where's Jesus? Rabbi Jairus is outside and wants to talk to you. Better hurry. This is the moment. You see... Simon and Matthew and all the others believe that if there is a chance on earth that Jesus will be able to turn around the attitudes of all the people in Jerusalem, he will be able to proclaim himself king. He will be able to do what messiahs are supposed to do. No more of this lollygagging around with children. No more of this working with people in the gatherings. No more of this common wind and wave stuff. Let's get to the king bit. Jairus is here. I think he wants you to do something. I have a feeling this is our moment, our moment, our moment. Come, come, come. Jesus ignores him but walks to the door, opens the door, and there's Jairus. Jairus is on his knees. His hands are reaching up. He grasps the hand of the master, and he says, My daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. Can you imagine what it took for this man to say those words to Jesus? It was the last thing he ever wanted to do. I mean, every, every syllable comes out with pain. Come, put your hand on her. So she may be healed and live. His love for his daughter overcomes his hatred of the Christ. And Jesus says, Hey, everybody, we're going up to Jairus' house. And the whole crowd comes. Jairus, humiliated coming down, is even more humiliated going back. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. There are two different times. Remember we talked about when Jesus healed the paralytic in Capernaum? Who was on the front row? Jairus. 
He was the rabbi who told John Goldberg that you ha your sins have made you a paralytic and God cannot forgive you because you are, you know, you're beyond forgiveness. And Jesus' first words to John Goldberg were, Son, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine how much that made Jairus hate Jesus? Contradict me in front of my whole community? Say, you know, just... And now the whole crowd is with Jairus, and they're headed back up the hill. And Jairus' head is filled with visions of a healthy daughter, a dead daughter, a dying daughter. Jesus, forgiving Goldberg. And all of a sudden, the crowd stops. Jesus stops it. His sandals quit moving. And Jesus then asks the dumbest question Jesus ever asked. Who touched me? I love Simon's response. Who touched you? Master, I touched you. He touched you. They touched you. We all touched you. This is a crowd. The press of the crowd makes it impossible for you to go anywhere without people touching you. Now, come on. we got to hurry and get up there and heal this girl so that you can be king. And Jesus ignores him completely. I love it. And he does it again. Who touched me? And Simon goes, Ugh! Nazarenes. And from the crowd, underneath the robes of men and women who were pressing next to him, comes a voice. I did. The crowd parts, and Simon and others push everybody. All right, out of the way, out of the way. What's going on here? And they're on the ground, literally in the ground, if she could get there. It was a woman dressed in black. Jairus looks at her and goes, not another one. You see, it's been years since this woman first came to him. With a disease that he diagnosed immediately, correctly, as, uh, uh, you're going to die. And because you have so much blood, you are not just going to die, you are going to die alone. Because, you see, you are polluted, and polluted means that you, God can't accept you. You will stay out of every... And, you know, he banished her from the house, he banished her from everywhere, everywhere. The fish market, you can't go. Wear black, die alone. God can't forgive you. Who touched me? I'm so sorry. I, but I, I heard and I thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And Jesus kneels down beside her, takes her in his arms, lifts her up. And with Jairus standing beside him, he says, Woman, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, freed from your suffering. I call her Irene Hoptomai Sozo. It's what she said right there. <laughs> Trembling with fear at his feet, she told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, what did he call John Goldberg? Son. You see, when Jesus sees sinners, 
All he sees are sons and daughters. Daughter, your faith, that's Irene, Irene, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Irene, faith, hoptomite, jump to it. I love that, that she was willing to just, don't do it! Sozo, and the word for her healing was, you have been made whole. Not just well. He didn't just heal her. He made her whole. And Jairus looked down and heard what Jesus had done, and something twisted in his chest. What if he is the Messiah? And just then a soldier taps him on the shoulder and says, Tell the master not to worry. Your daughter died. And Jairus begins the death chant. It's hideous. It's one of those things that when you hear it, it makes you want to fall and hide if you can. Or if you know the person you want to join as discordant as his would be. While he was still while Jesus was still talking to Irene, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. What were we yesterday a lot? Yeah, afraid. Terrified. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because you're worried about losing your role. Don't be afraid because you, you, you know the, the, the other rabbis in Jerusalem are going to throw you out if they find you're my friend. Don't be afraid because I'm going to take over Capernaum. I'm not. No need to worry about that. Don't be afraid about your daughter and your wife. Just believe. And then Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John. Can't you see Matthew now is back there and Matthew's good at this. No more. That's it. End of the road. Stop right there, all of you. And the tax collector just took over. Stop. Everybody went, yes, sir. I mean, that's the Roman voice. Chances are Matthew usually had some Roman soldiers around when he was serving his tax collector, and there they are. Stop. Stop. And Peter, James, and John, and Jairus, and Jairus' soldiers and housemen, they go walking slowly up the hill. No. <laughs> they go sprinting up the hill. And when they get to the yard where Jairus' house is, they find that the wailers and the weepers and the flautists are already there. And you've got to do that in about five different keys and broken. And, and then you add to that the sound of reed flutes. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to Cherokee, buy a reed flute, and pretend you know how to use it. That's what it sounds like. Okay. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion. People crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, why is all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead but asleep. And all of the wailers, and the, they were being paid already, so they knew good and well the kid was dead. Come on. And he threw them out. <laughs> Next time you hear someone proclaiming the certain death of Jesus, throw them out.
Next time you hear someone saying that your religion, your willingness to trust the Messiah is a waste of your time, throw them out! We could do five of these, but I'll just do two. And then he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. Who was that? Three fishermen. And he went into where the child was. And he took her by the hand. She's dead. Where is she? On her bed, lying down, flat. And he took her by the hand and he says, Talitha, come. I love Mark. Mark had a unique ability to hear what Peter told him, the stories that he heard from the other disciples and everybody else, and to pick out the moments that gave Jesus humanity and divinity all at once. This is one of those moments. You see, what he has Jesus saying, that obviously Peter, James, and John all told him is true, is little lamb, get up. Nobody except dad ever called her little lamb. Nobody. Not even mom. That was dad's name. And there she is, dead in her room. Father's standing, holding mom. Disciples trying to figure what to do with their hands. Jesus looks deeply into her dead eyes and says, little lamb, get up. Is that an incredible moment? Think it made Jairus jealous? You bet it did. There was a flash of anger that went through the rabbi. What is he doing calling her my nickname? And then suddenly as she began to move, he realized that she recognized that voice. And he had every right to call her little lamb. He didn't call her daughter. He didn't call her son. He called her something even more special. He called her daddy's girl. Little lamb, get up. Immediately. Now, this is something else that you will learn to love about Mark as you study on. Keep looking for the word immediately. Ethnus. It's a word that means now, instantly, right then. And remember when John learned about all of this, he was a teenager. And so, what you're really getting is a teenager's look into the life of Christ. Mark is the one who uses that word all the time, it's elsewhere, but. Go through Mark, and immediately that happened. And then immediately, and over here immediately. I love the way teenagers think. And immediately, the girl stood up, walked around. Oh, by the way, she was 12 years old. I have no idea why you said that there. <laughs> Seems that should have been about six verses earlier. Oh, it was a 12-year-old girl. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old, and they were all completely astonished. I'd rather be astonished than a fright. 
And then Jesus, of course, does the dumb thing. He says, now don't tell anybody what happened here. <laughs> but then the last phrase is my favorite in the whole story. And he looked at mom and dad and said, give her something to eat. She's hungry. Jesus could have raised her with a full stomach. Why didn't he do that? Because a very important part of this healing was a message that Jesus was sending to Jairus and to the people of Capernaum about Jairus. He could have said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll bring her back healthy and she won't be hungry for it. She'll have enough food in her stomach for a month. He could have done all kinds of crazy things. He could have given her a whole new suit of clothes. But what did he do? He raised a hungry girl and he turned to mom and dad and said, I think you better feed her. She needs you. And handed little lamb to the ones who needed her the most. And Jairus realized at that moment that even though Jesus could comfortably call her little lamb, Jesus could comfortably call Jairus rabbi all in the same breath was okay be the daddy this town needs a daddy needs you to be that daddy and this is the moment when everything changed in Capernaum did God bring a sickness on little lamb I don't know but I know he brought life did God allow a disease in Capernaum to fester? Yeah, I did. And Jairus was the one who really made it happen. And finally God said, we're going to have to fix this. And the only way to fix this is to give Jairus a quick look into the love of the Father. This happens one other place in Scripture. In the book of John, and when I open my John to chapter 3, it's red. You ever notice that? that if you got one of those Bibles where uh, God's, Jesus' voice is red and everybody else's is black? Well, in chapter 3, where Jesus, it says, teaches Nicodemus, it's red, 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 red. Well, it starts out with Nicodemus asking inane questions. This is very much like Tucker Carlson or, you know, somebody. CNN, doesn't matter who it is, but some reporter has made this appointment with Jesus in the middle of the night up in Gethsemane. And he shows up and he gets out his interview sheet, makes sure the lights are all correct, and he says, uh, Good master, we know that you are obviously from God or you wouldn't be able to do all of these miracles. And then he made the mistake that a good interviewer never makes. He took a breath. We know that you are from God or you wouldn't be able to perform all of these nice miracle things. And Jesus in the middle of it says, Oh, Nicodemus, did you know that uh, you can't get to heaven unless you're born again? And Nicodemus forgets all about the questions that he's got. And he says, What do you mean born again? I'm too old. I'm too big to get back in my mother's womb. I can't get that done. And he goes into weird mode. And instead of listening and trying to figure out what this conversation is about, all of a sudden Nicodemus is just speaking bizarre stuff. And Jesus says, No, 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 wait a minute. 
I'll tell you the truth. No one is ever going to enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. And then he goes on and on and on. And he's talking. And it's just like all of a sudden this thing gets all confusing. And Nicodemus looks at him and says, I don't understand. And the rest of the chapter is read. Seems. I believe that somewhere in the middle of this, Jesus took a breath. Right about verse 16. And Nicodemus looked at him and said, Excuse me, just a minute, time out. Why are you here? And Jesus reaches a hand out, puts it on Nicodemus' shoulder and says, Nick, let me tell you why I'm here. My dad and I were looking down over the parapets of heaven at earth. And dad saw you. And he pointed you out and he said, Hey, son, look at Nicodemus. Isn't that a great man? I love that guy. Son, would you be willing to go down, live on earth, help Nicodemus understand how much we love him, so much so that he will love us, and then tell him that we want to bring him here to live with us rather than to live down there and die? Will you come home with me, Nick? That's John 3.16, friends. In its simplest form. You like it? Nick, Dad and I were, we were looking down. We saw you. And neither of us could imagine heaven without you. That's why I'm here. Because I can't go back alone. I've got to take you with me, man. Little lamb, I've got to take you along. Jairus, got to bring you home. You got to meet my dad. Mrs. J, <laughs> you're awesome. Heaven would not be right without you guys. That's why I'm here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son whosoever. You see, the nice part about that verse is that Whosoever is one of those generic pronouns that is spelled just like your name. Let's go home. Let's go home. Let's go home. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming, for being yourself for being so patient with us and helping us learn, for helping us experience what you mean when you say, I love you. May we somehow, in some small way, reflect that to others. Thank you that you've got a house up there with enough rooms in it that you've got a name on every door. My name's one of them. Take me home.